All right, good morning, City Light South. I'm Jason Banks. I serve as an elder here. Um, Alex and Mariah had a baby, so uh, excited to announce Eden Grace Leva. And praise God for her, and congratulations to Alex and Mariah. So Pastor Alex will be off for a couple weeks, so I get the honor of preaching this morning twice. I'll be honest, uh, at that elder meeting, I was outvoted, and you know, I'm like, no, can't we just wait till after spring break to go to two gatherings? But no, the other elders weren't picking up what I was putting down, so here we are, and I get to preach my first sermon on the Sunday we go to two gatherings. But happy to do it, and thanks for coming. Glad you made it. Thanks for adjusting to our new time. Um, last week, on my way home from work, uh, I was driving home, and there was a guy standing in the middle of the street, standing right in the middle of Old Cheney. You're probably thinking, oh, that sounds bad. That sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah, it was bad. There was traffic backed up in every direction. And I'm sitting there at the green light, and this guy's got his hands up, and he's, you know, and making me stop, and then, like, waving other people to go, to go around, go in front of me. And uh, so what if I say that he was wearing a police uniform? Oh, okay, that, that makes a little more sense, right? Well, why does that make sense? Why, why does one person just have the ability to just, you know, back up traffic in every direction? Because everybody there, everybody that was driving, recognized the authority of that police officer. That police officer can put his hand up and tell whoever he wants to stop and wave anybody else through, and we would all submit to that authority, right? So how do we recognize authority in our life? Is it only if it's wearing a badge or a big fancy suit or has a commanding voice and body posture? Well, we're going to look at the authority of Jesus today and why we should recognize his authority and submit to him as Lord. Before we get started, let me just open up in a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for a chance to gather together here in your name. Uh, I pray that you would speak clearly through me the message that you have for all of us here. I pray that, that we would learn more about Jesus um, through your precious word and that you would just change our hearts to better reflect him. And in his name I pray, amen. So let's look at where we are in Matthew. Go ahead and open up to Matthew 8, either in your Bible or on your phone. And if you're a little confused, like, hey, weren't we just in Matthew 4 last week? Yes, we were. Uh, in the fall, we went through a 12-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount covers chapters 5 through 7. So and then after that, we went back to the beginning and restarted Matthew. So yes, last week we were in chapter 4. This week we're in chapter 8. And uh, we're going to pick up... Uh, after the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and chapter 7, just to kind of set the stage a little, uh, ends like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. So already at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, people recognize his authority. This man knows what he's talking about. The way he talks about the kingdom of heaven and the will of his Father in heaven He's not just another talking head repeating the same rules over and over like the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. This man knows what he's talking about. This man is from God. So Jesus has been teaching with authority, and now we're going to see that authority in action. And when we recognize Jesus' authority as the Son of God, we submit to him as Lord. That's the main point I want to leave with you this morning. So let's get into chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, 
saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So what is leprosy? Leprosy is a terrible skin disease. It slowly takes over a person. You start to lose feeling all over your body as your skin starts to die. And literally just little bits and chunks of you will just like rot away. It's a terrible, agonizing, painful disease. that just basically turns you into a walking corpse. But not only is this a physical disease, it's a very big deal in the culture at the time of Jesus. Leprosy made a person ceremonially unclean and therefore separated them from the community. Jewish law said that anyone diagnosed with any skin disease was prohibited from entering the temple or even a city. They had to live alone outside the camp and shout, unclean, unclean, if anyone ever got too close. We think we've had it bad having to stay six feet apart or wear a mask, but I mean, imagine if you know, if you got a diagnosis of COVID and it never went away, if it kept getting worse, if your quarantine was permanent, imagine having to leave your home, leave your city, live alone, outside, by yourself. You can never be close to another person again. Anytime you saw somebody, you'd have to shout, unclean, I tested positive, don't come any closer. So you can see how devastating a diagnosis of leprosy was. It was a death sentence, a slow, painful, lonely death. So now, picture the scene we just read. Jesus is coming down from the mountain. Large crowds are following him, and apparently there's a leper in their midst. And I just imagine the crowds just reacting in horror when they realize, get away! There's a leper! Don't let him touch you! He's unclean! But he doesn't care. He's so desperate. He doesn't care about the crowds or the law. He has one thing on his mind. He's had one thing on his mind for years. I want to be clean. And somehow he knows this is his chance. This is his only hope. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not, can you help me out here? Is there anything you can do? Please help me. Please take pity on me. And not even just, can you heal me? Because remember, this is more than just a physical disease. This man is spiritually and ceremonially unclean. He needs more than healing. He needs to be made clean. Because right now he is unwelcome in the community. He is unwelcome in his own home. He is unwelcome to the temple to worship his God. Physically, socially, spiritually outcast. So in his brokenness, in his hopelessness, he comes to Jesus, kneels before him, calls him Lord, and, says, and in faith says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus reaches out and touches him. According to Jewish law, if you touch someone with a skin disease, then you yourself became unclean. So by touching him, Jesus seemingly condemns himself with this contagious skin disease. But instead of being defiled by this man's disease, Jesus gives the man his cleanness. Isn't this a beautiful picture of the gospel? A hopeless, broken man on his knees in need of what he cannot do for himself, humbling himself before the Savior with nothing to offer but simply saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And he offers the same thing to us. Even though we are unclean and sinful, Jesus, the Son of God, reaches down to us and looks us compassionately in the eye and says, I am willing, be made clean. He takes our sin and shame upon himself and gives us his cleanness, his purity, his righteousness. When we come and submit to Jesus as Lord, he is willing to cleanse us. How do we know that he's willing? How do we know it's not just this one particular leper he was willing to clean? Because Jesus said in John 6:40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. He is willing. 
Are you willing to come before the Savior and kneel and ask to be cleansed? So immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then in verse 4, Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, so don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. What's going on here? So right away, uh, since this is early in Jesus' ministry, it seems he's still trying somewhat to keep a low profile. He doesn't want to just get completely swamped with crowds who are only coming to look for a miracle, only coming to be physically healed. That's not the only purpose of his public ministry. And then go show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them. What's that all about? Well, only a priest could diagnose someone as unclean, so then only a priest could declare someone clean. Since leprosy was incurable, it was thought in that time to be a curse from God. So if it was ever cured, then it, thought to, it had to be God who cured it, right? This is the testimony to them, that God just healed this person by touching him in person. Jesus is basically putting the religious establishment on notice that I am here, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus physically cured him of his, of his disease, but he was still technically ceremonially unclean until he went to the priest and presented him himself and offered the gift, the sacrifices prescribed in the law. Jesus didn't want to only heal him physically, but he wanted to restore him ceremonially and spiritually and communally as well. Offer the gift that Moses commanded. There's a very lengthy process in Leviticus 14, according to the law, of how a priest would restore a person who had been diagnosed with any skin disease, including leprosy, um, but how the priest would restore them, and uh, it's crazy. It takes over a week. You can look it up for yourself, but there's birds, blood, a lot of bathing, and, uh, but after all, the, after all the cleansing, after the person is actually declared clean, then he can go to the temple he must bring three unblemished lambs to the priest so that he can be fully restored. One for a guilt offering, one for a burnt offering, and one for a sin offering. And Leviticus 14, 19 says, the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering to make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanness. An unblemished lamb sacrificed as a sin offering to make atonement to be clean. Wow, what does that sound like? I mean, that sounds like Jesus. To me, that sounds like John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He doesn't want to circumvent the law or undermine it. He is fulfilling it, all the while restoring people to something even better. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He is, he is the unblemished Lamb. He is the better sacrifice, and he has authority to make us clean. Let's continue on in verse 5. When he, entered, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. And he said to him, Am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So Rome has conquered Israel. They have military forces occupying the region. 
The commanders of the soldiers are called centurions, and they would have been foreigners, uh, not Jewish, Gentiles. So that's who, this, that's who this guy is. And in the Roman Empire, all authority belonged to the emperor. And he could delegate it to whoever he wanted, but it was still his authority. So when a centurion gives an order to a soldier, that soldier is obeying the emperor himself. So when the centurion says in verse 9, I too am a man under authority, he's saying, I submit to Rome, I submit to the emperor, and then I can therefore exercise his authority however I deem necessary. He he recognizes the authority of Jesus in the same way. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. By the grace of God, he recognizes that Jesus' authority is from God. And surely God has authority over disease. So Jesus can exercise this same authority. In the same way the centurion orders servants to go there and do this, he believes that Jesus can give orders to an illness and tell it to go, and it's as good as gone. He knew who Jesus was, and he believed in him. No wonder Jesus is amazed. This is the first guy who gets it. Verse 10, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I mean, how cool is it that Jesus can be amazed? In fact, I think it would take a lot to amaze Jesus. And in fact, there's only two places in Scripture where it tells us that Jesus was amazed. And for me, this is just a good reminder that even though he is the Son of God, he is human. He has emotions. His response continues in verse 13. Uh, Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. We often say here it's not about the size or strength of your faith, but about the object of your faith. Did the centurion's great faith heal his servant? Or by the grace of God, did Jesus display his authority to heal? I hope this encourages you to have great faith. Not to try really hard to muster up faith that is great, but to have faith in the one who is great. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe, do you take Jesus at his word? Do you believe that what he says is as good as done? Because this Gentile centurion did. Because of his faith, and more importantly, because of God's grace, Jesus healed his servant. And Jesus highlights the importance of faith in verses 11 and 12. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First off, can we all agree that that somebody chewing in your ear is its own kind of torture. I hear Jesus say gnashing of teeth, and I just, I can, all I can hear just that coworker just hovering over my shoulder, just chomping on his gum, just, that's, that's a living hell, yeah. No, I kid, but this is serious. I mean, this would have shocked the crowds following him. And this stark reminder reminds us of other warnings that Jesus gave in chapter 7 during the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But here Jesus is taking it a step further by specifically calling out the sons of the kingdom, Jewish people, or at least those who have been clinging to their heritage alone as a free ticket to heaven. For the first time in Matthew, Jesus clearly opens the doors to the kingdom of heaven to Gentiles when he says, many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But in one of many controversial statements that Jesus has in Matthew, that he will continue to escalate, stay tuned for coming weeks, um, he tells them the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Throughout his ministry, Jesus encountered 
both Jews that were following him and Jews that were opposed to him who were clinging to their heritage, clinging to Abraham, to their past, and using that to justify themselves. And Jesus often had to give them a wake-up call like he does here. What about you? Do you need a wake-up call? I'm sorry if you've been deceived or misled, but it doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. It doesn't matter what your parents believed. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. Don't rely on your heritage or anything like that. Just listen to Jesus and his word. And what do you hear in these verses? What speaks louder to you? Do you hear Jesus welcoming you to the celebration of his kingdom? Many will come from east and west to share in the banquet. Or do you hear the warning? The sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. If you only hear the warning, will you stop and listen to it? Will you recognize the authority of Jesus? Will you put, put your faith in him? Not in anything you've done, not in your past, not in your future plans, but in him and in his finished work on his, of his death and resurrection. Will you submit to his authority as Lord? Let's continue on with the next miracle in uh, verse 14. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying there with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. So we hear, we hear fever, and we think, oh, fever, that's too bad. She probably feels kind of yucky. She's probably laying on the couch, catching up on her soaps. But there's, there's no medicine. There's no ibuprofen. There's no Netflix. I mean, a fever in those days could kill. And if you're like me and all of, your, uh, all of your science and medical knowledge comes from the magic school bus growing up, <laughs> you know that a fever isn't the problem. It's a symptom of a bigger problem. Your body's trying to you know, fight off a virus or something. But Jesus not only takes away the fever, he apparently takes away the sickness that's causing the fever because she immediately feels well enough to begin serving him. Jesus reaches out to the helpless, restores her, and she responds by serving him. Again, we see the humanity of Jesus here. Just in the fact that he, after he heals her, she begins to serve him because he has needs. And he has a busy night ahead. Verse 16. When the evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. That last sentence is from Isaiah 53, and it's just such a beautiful prophecy that speaks so clearly about Jesus, about how much he sacrificed for us, how much he has given us. Matthew is connecting the dots here between the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and Jesus of Nazareth, who is healing people of their sicknesses. And I'm going to read a little bit more from Isaiah 53 now, but I would encourage you to go home this week and, and just read the whole chapter for yourself and just worship Jesus for what he has done for you. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds." Do you know that, Jesus? Do you recognize how much he loves you? Now here this city lights out. The message this morning is not have, have great enough faith and all your problems will be fixed. The message is not place your faith in Jesus and submit to him as Lord and he'll heal all your health problems. Please don't hear that. Jesus didn't heal everyone on earth when he was here. 
He didn't heal everyone in Israel or even everyone in Jerusalem or Capernaum. Could he have? Of course. But he didn't. Around the same time in the book of Luke, Luke says, large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. This implies that Jesus told some people no. And maybe that's how you're feeling. You have faith. You've been pleading to God to take away the thing that's bothering you. Doesn't he care about your suffering? Of course he does. We've seen his compassion clearly in the scripture today. But we have so much more hope in Jesus than just a temporary easing of our suffering here on earth. The sickness and suffering in this broken world is very real. Yes, I'm not trying to minimize how broken and messed up this world is. I'm not trying to minimize what anybody's going through or how anyone's feeling. But suffering is not the main problem. Like a fever, it is a symptom of a greater problem. That, that greater problem is sin. That's what Jesus came to cleanse. That's what Jesus came to heal. That's what Jesus came to redeem. Sin. He didn't come to suffer and die on the cross so we can have an easy life now. He died and rose again so we can have new life with him forever. The good news of the gospel is not that we will be free from sickness and suffering here on earth. The good news is that Jesus paid the price that sin demanded, that Jesus suffered and died in your place so you can have eternal life. So that as Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That's what these miracles do. They reveal a tiny glimpse of the glory of God that we will get to experience in his kingdom when he restores all things to himself as they were originally meant to be. If we will come to Jesus and humbly submit to him as Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you believe that this morning? Will you submit to him and his authority? Let's pray. God, I pray for all of us in this room that we would just see more clearly the authority of Jesus, that we would submit to him, that we would realize that he is worthy to be submitted to. And for all those here who are hurting and suffering, God, I pray, pray for a miracle that you would heal, that you would restore. But for all the times that you don't, if you say no or not yet, God, I ask for faith to trust that you are still in control. And God, I pray for those who haven't yet submitted to Jesus as Lord, that they would see the leprosy that is taking over their life and just making them numb to the effects of sin and how it's actually destroying their life and realize that only you can make them clean and that you're willing to. You are more than willing to, God. All you desire is that people would come to you so that you can make us clean. Please help us believe this truth. Amen.